got one goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on here. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, welcome to another episode of Golf Drinking and Life. My name is Colin McKern. I'm a PGA professional and a Callaway staff member here in Mobile, Alabama. I'm here with my co-host, my brother, Corey McKern, who is a professional opera singer and a professor at the University of West Florida in Pensacola, Florida. Big core. Hello. How's it going? Good to have you back there, you abandoner of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was... Uh... I was your solo last week. I listened to it. I enjoyed it. I was solo last week. It was very um, awkward. I think I told you I felt like I we I felt like we sounded on our first ever podcast. Like it was like when we did our first podcast, it was good, but it was a little bit wooden and a little you know. I, to me, I could tell it was our first one. And when I go back and listen to it, I can still tell a little bit of difference in those first couple as I can now. So it was, uh, but it was funny because the, and, and I, I should know this by now from doing this and other things I've done in my life, but I, and, you know, I had a, a, um, agenda in front of me, but I, because I was alone and you weren't there to fill in the gaps, I got through about 17 minutes and I was already through the whole agenda. And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> danger, yeah. danger. I've got, uh, 40 minutes to fill here. So, you know, obviously we don't do this show live, so it's um, there's some editing involved, although not much when me and you do it together. So there was a little some some pauses and and whatnot there to edit. But, uh, Hard to but the edit. show, the show must go on, Corey, so to speak. That's right. And you can't edit more time in. You Correct. Feel like a monologue from Jimmy Fallon somewhere in the middle and expect <laughs> people to think it's you. You know, you know if I'd have thought about that, I probably would have. See, All that's right. why I need you around. No, I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. Um, and I hate to give away to our audience that there's not hours and hours of preparation that goes into this. Um, but there is a little bit. When it's you and I, we can banter off each other. But I thought you did a great job on your own. A lot of time to fill. Well, so the lesson I learned is the um, so the agenda I send you is usually just some key words. There's not a whole lot to that agenda. Yeah. And then me and you kind of let the conversation go organically. If you're doing it by yourself, my suggestion would be to have a more um, a more detailed agenda. Yeah, because it's not going to flow organically. <laughs> you have to make it to make it do that. So, you know, so, it's funny. It seems easy. I mean, what we do, where do we do for fun, and we do because we enjoy it. Um, but to have to fill. You know, Paul Feinbaum show, Dan Patrick, those guys that really do radio to fill four hours a day with content is and make it entertaining and make it relevant is, man, that's a Herculean task. So you got to think. So there are a lot of um, radio shows, sports radio shows that have one guy doing them. Um, yeah. When I dro- drove Uber, especially in the late night and early mornings, you hear shows where basically the guy is talking to the audience, um, which is, you know, Dan Patrick was kind of the first one to come up with this, having his producer and his Danettes, so to speak, involved. Right. Now, obviously, other shows have had multiple hosts on it, but he was kind of the first one because Dan, that's what Dan does. Five days a week, Dan has a three hour show. Right. And it's just him talking. But at some point, he involved his four guys that are in the studio with him because it's because he's he he kind of wanted a sounding board to to run things by. 
Sure. And that kind of, he was one of the first in those shows and he'll be quick to tell you that everybody's now copied his format. And there are a lot of shows out there that do that. Just like this one, I have my side help. Now you commenting on the show instead of just sitting there quietly doing what you're supposed to do. Did you just call me your side chick? <laughs> no, not side chick. I don't think that's what I said. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So we are now in 25 countries and over 450 cities. Uh, please continue to, uh, to share and spread the word. Um, you can follow me at Colin McKern on Twitter, and you can email the show golftrinkinglife at gmail.com. Um, I want to continue to thank the people who have shared their personal stories and struggles. We haven't had anybody yet this season, but at the beginning of the show last year, we had quite a few uh, people reach out in different um, through Facebook, through emails and some other things. Um, We have new episodes out every Thursday morning. Uh, We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, basically wherever you can find your podcasts. Um, If you have not listened to the show before, um, season one, episode one and two really give the background of the podcast as to why we started this. I am almost two years sober now after nearly dying from a addiction to alcohol. So doing it by myself last week, it was interesting because there was also a lot of golf news last week, which um, and the golf news continues to come with Phil Mickelson this week, although no answers are coming out of this. But now, as of either Sunday night or yesterday, uh, sorry, Monday night or yesterday at some point, it has come out. And I say it's come out. He appears now on the list of defending champions at the Masters that will not be playing, which is interesting. Neither Augusta nor Phil Mickelson has commented on this. Right. And very surprising to me. I thought Augusta would be a very nice, safe place for him to make his return to golf. Um, Somebody pointed out to me that, well, he probably just didn't want to get heckled by the crowd the whole time. But Augusta is a little different about that. Um, First of all, they absolutely love him at Augusta. But also Augusta is known for the crowd not being quite as rambunctious as other golf tournaments crowds. So. A lot of questions. This raises either more, even more questions than it answers. Well, yeah. First of all, what are people going to boo Phil Mickelson at the Masters? That would well, seem all- yeah. You know, I, I I don't I don't find that as a legitimate excuse because number one, the Masters is still two weeks away. So if he's not suspended by the PGA Tour then it would make sense to play a PGA Tour one of these two weeks before the Masters and then play the Masters. Number one, for warm-up purposes, but number two, to go ahead and get all that initial stuff out. Yeah. Play an event if the crowd's going to boo you and heckle you a little bit, get that out of their system kind of thing. Sure. Um, If I'm playing in a golf tournament, if I'm playing in the Masters, I'm going to play in a couple golf tournaments leading up to the Masters to get ready for the Masters, correct? Correct. So therefore, the Masters isn't going to be my debut back after all this anyway, and I'm not going to have to worry about it. it just it's it's very weird. It'll be interesting to see the news that comes out today and tomorrow or leading up to the Masters as to why he's not playing. The PGA Tour does not tell you when players are suspended. If he was suspended from the PGA Tour, the Masters would uphold that suspension. I'm not saying that's what it is, but it certainly seems to be leaning more and more that way in my mind. Yeah, you know, it, this this whole thing's fascinating because uh, a couple reasons. 
number one, I, I said this to you over text, but the very idea that the PGA Tour, to me, is forbidding players to play somewhere else, you know, a competitive tournament in the United States, is sort of ridiculous because all those guys on the PGA Tour are independent contractors, so it's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, the PGA Tour has done a lot for players because it provides a framework. But let's be honest, people pay to see the players. They're not paying to see the commissioner. And and there is no protection for the golfers. So if you're a golfer and you break your leg, a la Tiger Woods, there's no, uh, you, you know, that's it. You don't work. You don't make money. Well, it's interesting that you say that you bring up that specific point because I was talking about this yesterday because I'm on the exact opposite side of this than you the more I've thought about this since you brought this up. Yeah. So uh, my boss, Lawrence, we were talking about this yesterday, and he brought up the fact that there was a player recently who was on the PGA Tour's injured list, and I think he he when you get injured on the PGA tour, they give you a certain amount of medical red shirt, so to speak time. It's not really a red shirt, but they give you a leave of absence for medical and it doesn't count against your exemption. But what I didn't know is, and this guy had said that while he was hurt and couldn't play the PGA tour, the PGA tour was paying him $15,000 a month. while he was injured. Well, good. And taking time off. So there, there are some, you know, Yes, they are independent contractors, but but you 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 use and people use independent contractors all the time. So if you are using an independent contractor and he decides that week three into your job he's going to go down the street because the neighbor's going to pay more money, he's going to go work on the neighbor's pool on week three, but he'll be back week four. You very well might fire him because you need him to work on week three. You, you, you can fire that independent contractor for any reason. And if he decides he's going to go work on the neighbor's pool for a week, then you might very well fire him because you you're going to be scratching your head saying, wait a minute, I hired you to do a job. I, I, I don't know. I don't yeah, think it's I, that, but I don't think it's that clear cut. I mean, <clears throat> the PGA tour does a lot for these players and why they might not be making a salary, because, you, you know, there is an extra thing in here, be it that if you're a PGA Tour player and you miss the cut, you do not get paid that week. Right. At least you do not get paid through the tour. Now, I don't know if there is the, – the one thing I don't know and I don't think is in place, like let, let's say that I qualify for the U.S. Open or the U.S. Senior Open. Just yeah. for qualifying for the U.S. Senior Open um, and showing up on property, the USGA gives me $5,000 to help with expenses. I don't think the PGA tour does that on a week to week basis. Right. Probably something they ought to look into doing, meaning every player that misses the cut gets five grand. They certainly got enough money for that. That way you're not showing up in the empty handed. It's not enough money to make a living off of, but it's enough money that you don't go in the hole. If you miss 10 cuts in a row. Yeah. Or you don't go way into the hole, at least. At least you're being able to cover your expenses. If they're not doing that, that's something they should immediately look into doing. But um, as far as them being independent contractors and being able to do whatever they want, I'm not buying that because there's many. I'll tell you what we need to have. We need to have like an independent contractor on here and get their their theory about it. Because obviously there are a lot of independent contractors. Our director of instruction at Isaiah City is an independent contractor. If he takes a piss in the middle of the driving range today, we're going to have an issue 
of some sort and have to suspend him for a little while. Now, Phil Mickelson didn't exactly do that. Um, I go back and forth on what Phil Mickelson has done because it's easy real quickly to go to the fact that, well, what he said wasn't really that bad, was it? Well, here, uh, a he, you said we need to have an independent contractor on. I wonder where we could find somebody that made their living in opera as an independent contractor for 25 years. Uh, no, it's a mystery. <laughs> number one. And number two, so if uh, if I got a call from my agent today and said, uh, Saudi Arabia wants you to come next week uh, to the Capitol and sing an opera, and uh, they're going to pay you a million dollars. You and I would have a conversation, but like, like, don't they like cut people's heads off over there? But it's a million dollars, right? You know, uh, Phil Mickelson didn't say anything necessarily that no one else would have said, um, but he made the mistake of saying it to a reporter and then expecting it not to come out. And and he is, it's generally frowned upon when you're trying to make a lot of money at the expense of the, you know, and this is the argument we're talking about. Uh, certainly Phil Mixlin's career on the PJ tour has been lucrative to him. Now at the end of his career, he's actively working for a competitor. Well, uh, it, it, yes, he's trying. And, it, and it's not like just he's going, he's trying to undermine the PGA tour in general. Right. By taking other players with him and making this. So so this isn't a case where he just said, hey, I want to release the play in a tournament one week. And they said, no, this is a case where he's trying to spearhead a whole golf tour that could ultimately impact the PGA Tour's financial. Right. Right. Yep. So it's a bit much. So what he said to me wasn't that bad. But what his intentions were, whether that's actually what his intentions were to do or not, what his intentions were seemingly worse than what he said. Be- yeah. Because he's trying to undermine. I mean, as you know, if you're working in a show, just like we talked about, if, if you're working in a show, there's no form or fashion you're leaving that show for a for a week to go do something else for more money. I mean, you've signed a contract with that show and you're working that show till it's done if you want to get paid, right? Yeah, that's correct. So um, I'm all for free market, and I, I don't know where this LIV golf tour golf invitational series is going to end up. It really seems to me um, like Phil Mickelson got to, to get uh, wrapped up with Greg Norman. I'm really uh, Greg Norman couldn't give two shits, I'm sure, but I am really, really disappointed in Greg Norman and just what he's he's just just hammering his own legacy. I mean, it's just ridiculous to me. And them for the money to be coming from from these Saudis. And here's a point somebody brought up that they're starting to bring up in these articles. And I think Eamon Lynch, who's a um, golf magazine writer and is on the Golf Channel quite a bit, um, is very against this and um, was talking about what what happens now when you get in bed with the with the Saudis and you're on this tour. And now all of a sudden they they don't they won't let you miss an event and they want your wife to act dress a certain way at these events. Right. You know, what point have you opened up the can of worms that you can't get yourself out of? They will certainly expect you to do what they tell you to do, just like the PGA Tour does. The difference is the PGA Tour is not going to chop your hands off if you don't. Right. Yeah, you know, the other thing is, um, I was trying to think about this. Major sports leagues grow organically. Uh the NFL didn't start like the NFL. We know, you know, it was those guys were working 
second jobs in the off season at the beginning. Right. So, and same with the PGA tour, you know, it grew from this sort of humble tournaments to what it is today. And then any other league, I mean, they're just now the Saudi league um, is just trying to start equal to the PGA tour, taking that model really. Um, and, so they're just going to spend all this money to try to have these events that are already kind of ready made. And there, there's no way it's going to work because they're not going to be able this quickly with all this scandal, they're just not going to be able to get the players that they want. Certainly not for that amount of tournaments and certainly not for the ones in the United States. So I, without the players, you're just spending a bunch of money on nothing. I mean, who are you going to, you're going to have John Daly over there. Well, it, what's going to happen is it's going to be like all like every time there's a football league that comes up against the NFL, which I think there's another one coming up this year. Oh, really? Um, you know, the last couple have lasted not even a whole season, and right. and but but what happens is the first week everybody watches to see what it is, and then they they talk about after the first week how great the ratings are and blah blah blah, and this is going to make it. And then four games in, the 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 season's canceled, and and I feel like something similar could happen in in this league um not necessarily that they cancel it but everybody might tune in the first week to see what it's all about and then realize that i don't want to watch lee westwood play against 29 other lee westwoods yeah you know Um, now i'm changing my mind in the middle of this podcast because uh, i've never sort of framed it this way but Generally speaking, there's one league in every sport that has the best players. And as I said, that you look at even like the UFC, you know, the UFC, when the current owners bought it, actually they've sold it again, but I mean, they paid nothing for it and they grew it into this $4 billion business. And so they have the best fighters and PJ tour has the best golfers. NFL has the best football players. So the XFL wouldn't work because People want to see the best athletes in the world doing it. So if you're watching NFL 50 years ago and it's much more humbler existence, you're still watching the best players. So the XFL doesn't work because people don't want to see fireworks and uh, crazy uniforms and cheerleaders that do some crazy routine. They want to watch the best players. It's not all the all the concessions and the stadiums are fine. But really, you want to go out there and see the greatest competitors in the world play football or golf or whatever your sport. And so unless they're going to totally try to put the PGA tour out of business, they're not going to have them. Yeah. It's, you know, here, here's a third side to this that we haven't even thought about with this announcement about Phil not playing in the masters is maybe Phil reached out to the masters and said, he's not playing for personal reasons this year. And he's going to come out guns blazing full bore backing this LIV tournament series yeah, or, maybe. or invitational series, because you would certainly be a hypocrite to, to play in the masters and then in June play in this LIV thing, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. I don't think it's going to be something that extreme. Um, but, but one thing that would nip all this in the bud is if the majors as a whole or the masters itself will just come out and say, we're not going to, if, if a player jumped ship to go to, go to that, then we're not going to honor you. We're not going to invite him to the masters. I don't think the Masters would come out and say that because the Masters is going to keep their mouth shut and and I'm sure wait and see kind of approach. They don't want to come. They they don't want to be. They're not the um, organizing 
group of golf. So they have their tournament that they run and they work in conjunction with the other tours and majors, but I don't, they don't want to be, they don't want to bully in that arena unless they absolutely have to either. Yeah, sure. So just interesting. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. I'm shocked that there's been no announcement from Mickelson's camp or Augusta. It's a pretty big thing for there to be no answer as to why, you know, I'm, it's Whether always- it's real answer or a fake answer. I mean, it's been 24, 48 hours now, and there's been no no explanation. Yeah, good point. I mean, he'll, he'll do – I mean, he's probably due to sit down with somebody and have some kind of interview. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, and it'll be, it'll be interesting as this rolls in. But, you know, hey, I don't know. I don't know how this works with – you know, they say no press is bad press. Well, just – Golf tour is certainly getting a lot of press, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. I, I bet Tiger Woods wasn't thinking no press is bad press after he uh, his wife hit his golf club car with a golf club and then he wrecked it. No, and and I and you know they were talking about his return to Augusta um, after all of that, and you know the he was um, you know he was welcomed fine. So you know I, I think. I think Augusta would be a safe place for Phil to make his return. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? It's just, it'll be interesting to kind of see what transpires out of this news. I thought, I thought for sure Phil's a three time Masters champion. He is the defending PGA champion. He is in good health as far as we know. And his game is still really good. Obviously, he won the PGA last summer for crying out loud. Right. Um, So for him to be skipping this major because this is one that he can probably win a few more times still um, is it, very strange, very strange to say the least. Yeah, for sure. Um, so speaking of older golfers that nobody wants to watch, <laughs> no offense, Paul Casey, but we have a little wager on Paul Casey to win the masters. Indeed. So um, we had picked Colin Morikawa last year for the British Open. We had no money on, but you recently were in Biloxi, and I told you to find out what the line was on Paul Casey, which it was what, plus 5000 Plus 5000 yeah. So we had $25 on said bet, and Paul Casey to me just seems like one of the guys that, number one, his career almost isn't complete without either a major or a um, player's championship something of that level. He's got a lot of wins and he's got a lot of good finishes in majors. He finished third at the players two weeks ago, um, which is kind of where I got the idea, which I'm I'm sure I'm not the only one that got that idea. He's probably getting some pretty, his, that, that 5,000 will probably move down a little bit. Um, But, um, you know, he's one of those players that could sneak in and win a masters. Yeah. Um, Maybe not, but obviously this is why casinos get to be so so big is because they get jackasses like us putting twenty five dollars on Paul Casey because we could win sixteen hundred dollars on a twenty five dollar bet, but it's not never going to hit. Yeah, so well, that's why know. that's why the casinos are four thousand stories tall. Well, it all you know it only has to hit for one person. You know, there's a thousand of us betting on you know the top fifty golfers in a variety of wagers and someone will win. Uh, yes. maybe us probably won't. Yep. Um, but if everyone spends 25 to hundred bucks, yeah, that's why that's how they keep all those lights on. Let's make gambling great again, Corey. 
<laughs> I find it interesting that we're on a podcast about um, drinking and now we have a new addiction and it's called gambling. We're going to turn this into a gambling podcast and talk about lines every week. You know, I think it's, I always laugh. It's so easy to be in my position because I can be so sanctimonious. Like, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So offer for you with all that drinking you do. And then, you know, I'm, I'm calling you from Biloxi. Like, should I gamble more? Um, so, there's two minutes to go. Should I bet if the Gonzaga point guard is going to pick his nose at the free throw line? Yeah, that's right. There are um, odds on that. Which this is, is why, what, I mean, I don't, you know, we do go to Biloxi occasionally, probably two or three times a year because it's, you can, you know, the casinos over there, you can get a room fairly cheap. We can get away for one night, fairly entertaining. But if you really, I mean, I don't mind gambling for an evening, but it's, you're not going to make money in sports, in my opinion. Sports betting. No, there are some people that supposedly do it, but but it's funny to me that those people who make money on sports gambling also have all these um, businesses about selling you their picks. So you can right. make money on sports gambling. If you were making enough money sports gambling, you wouldn't have to sell me your picks, would you? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, not Not to say that everybody doesn't want to make more money, but... Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I dabbled in sports gambling a little bit here and there, and I was awful, awful. I mean, if I was trying to bet on sports for like a weekend and bet on multiple games, I mean, I really felt like if somebody had just been picking the opposite of me, they would be rich. Gambling sort of releases a bunch of pleasure hormones, right? So you, you bet on a game and then suddenly you're excited to watch it. But that all, at some point, if you're an alcoholic or a gambling addict and you start to really get into it, it's not the positive thing that is affecting you. It's the negative, the daily, like somehow you're addicted to that um, ups and downs. And I mean, it's not a romantic endeavor. Well, the problem for me when, when, because I've had some issues with gambling in the past, some of it casino gambling. Um, that, that doesn't sound like the Colin McCurn I know. I, yeah, I know. We'll, we'll have to, we can unpack all that at some point. But so what, what my experience in it is this is when, when you do something that you're not supposed to do, be it that I was telling you the story um, just a couple of days ago about the time where I, I was frustrated and ready to leave the casino and I went to a, hundred dollar a hand table with three hundred dollars three one hundred dollar chips and in the matter of about 15 minutes i got up with four thousand dollars right that's not the way to do that it was very lucky i was frustrated i, I basically at that point was trying to lose that three hundred dollars and get the hell out of there but i got yeah. on a run and i won so in my mind i calculated that because that happened that could happen at any time right right so yeah. it, it was a bad thing because then sure. going forward, every time I was getting drilled, I kept thinking, man, all it takes 300 bucks to walk out of here with a thousand. I mean, 4,000. All it takes is $300 to walk out of here with 4,000. Right. And, and it, that's, that was a very lucky one time thing. It maybe will never repeat again. So you, you, you end up losing way more money than you want to lose, chasing that chance that, oh, this is the 300 that's going to do it. So that's how it yeah. becomes addictive. That's one way it becomes addictive very quickly, and people spend more money than they want to spend chasing the money that they wanted to win. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and then you walk out of there, and you you know you you went to Biloxi and you planned to gamble with five hundred dollars, and you lost two thousand, and now you are having trouble paying your water bill or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, 
which is why, why the proponents fight against legalized gambling. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I guess you have to draw the line somewhere. But um, it, it's it's strange in our society what, what becomes legal and what becomes illegal and what after time that has been illegal becomes legal. And, you, you I mean, you, you know, I know laws are here to protect people, but um, sometimes people just have to kind of be left to their own devices a little bit. Well, it's it's a very, you know, I think about this a lot because um, particularly after the last uh, couple of years during this pandemic and so much talk of freedom. Right. So I don't I, I'm not going to wear a mask because uh, that, that I don't have you can't tell me what to do because I'm free. Um, but that but that those lines get a little slippery when you're talking about, you know, clearly you see a lot of people at those casinos that, you know, probably shouldn't be there. And maybe, you know, they get addicted like anyone else. And, and we, we do know we're, we're, we have enough research and enough time. Like we all now realize addiction is not um, just willpower, right? You know, the guy that's in there gambling is rent money and his bill money probably isn't doing that just for the enjoyment of it. Um, there's probably something deeper going on. And, uh, and, and then you look at, you know, I just heard this stat that the amount of opioids prescribed over a 15 or 20 year period was enough for like 30 pills for every human in the United States. So who's taking all those pills? And then. And the bigger question, why didn't I get my 30 pills? Where are my 30 pills, Corey? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're, we're going to do 20 minutes on that now. Um, <laughs> but, that's you know, no fair. You, can, you would be silly to think that the the amount of opioids that were prescribed by legal doctors, you know, Was suddenly legitimate. When yeah. And some, suddenly now someone's addicted to heroin. Those pills become physically addictive. Can't get off of them. You can't get them anymore. Now you're getting heroin to try to just calm your physical addiction. And now you're irresponsible, you know, as if you wanted this heroin addiction because uh, you got knee surgery. Right. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, our society is amazing because anyone can achieve their dreams, right? But not everyone can, and that's where it gets tricky. And we don't want a lot of government regulation, but before we did have it, children were working in factories. So it seems like we need a little bit of supervision um, or we don't necessarily do the right thing. Right. Well, and, and we do. We obviously need supervision. It's just weird where we draw the line sometimes. And then to watch those lines be changed as history or as time moves forward. Yeah. Um, and, and to sometimes go back and forth. I mean, it, it, you know, sometimes society just won't handle said law or rule, which happened with prohibition in the 20s. Right. Obviously, it just didn't work out. Gambling was is a weird thing because there's obvious, well, probably the same as drugs or anything else, but there's a huge black market or there, before there were casinos and before you could sports book bet in Mississippi, you could call Donnie down the street and set bets. And those guys have gotten sophisticated to where they even have websites now. Um, so even if you have laws, there's still ways to get to it, but your seemingly enough, your 85 year old lady or 75 year old lady is not going to call veto and, and, and make a football bet, but she might go to Biloxi and, 
and gamble away her whole um, social security check. Yeah, that's true. So if it's illegal, it's stopping some people from getting hurt from it. I do understand that. Of course, that brings up a whole argument about if it's on the black market, then it's more dangerous and people are getting beat up, whatever. I mean, you know, you can argue that till you're blue in the face. Um, it's, it's, I guess it's not really our job to decide what is legal and illegal. It's our job to follow it, but it's fun to argue about it anyway. Yeah. Alcohol is a tricky thing to talk about it being legal or illegal. Um, it's also a tricky, tricky thing being in recovery from alcohol because, um, when you get into these social settings where people are either scared to invite you to, to, to go out because they're going to be drinking or, or they're scared to drink around you. I try to point out to them that I live three and a half miles from work and I pass probably 25 stores where I could get some kind of alcohol. Right. So it's so available that you don't need to be scared about, like, if I want to drink, I'm going to drink. It's too easy not to. Sure. Yeah. And, and, yeah. But, but, and, and that's fine. It's not society's job to have to, to make alcohol illegal because I couldn't, not drink it. I mean, that's it, just how it works. Some people, um, it, w- whatever your addiction is, you can't make almond M and M's illegal because I eat two tons of them every night. Well, that, I wish they would, Corey. Well, you know, that's the debate. In when I lived in New York, is when they started to say that you couldn't sell certain size sodas, and and people really backlashed against that because. You know, who are you to tell me I can't drink a large Coke? Um, yeah, that would really put a damper on my drinking of Diet Coke now, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would. You'd have to go by 47 a day. So uh, let me put, let me give you something even more outrageous than that. How about Alabama um, making illegal the 40-ounce beers? Oh, really? Because it's gang-related. Uh, right. So about the time when, when boys in the hood and all that came, came out and all the yeah. gang members were drinking the forties as they yeah. call them. Yeah. And suddenly they became illegal in some States because they were associated with gangs. Seems just a touch racist, doesn't it? Yeah. That's, it's, that sounds terribly racist. Yeah. 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 So, sure but does. that's, that's, that's how we kind of roll with laws and stuff. Um, and then I, I don't know if the people, that are doing him. I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and assume that, that that was just a byproduct of that law that, Oh, we never thought that it was racist, but very well, that law could have came into existence because they wanted it to be racist. <laughs> you yeah, know, well, I, yeah. I, 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 I will always go to the, give people benefit of the doubt and say, well, that was just, they, they didn't think that that was a side effect of it, but they very well could have thought that and did it on purpose. Yep. That's exactly right. What does it matter if I drink my beer out of a 12-ounce glass or a 40-ounce glass? Right. Doesn't mean I'm going to go down and carjack somebody. Well, forever, you know, my undergrad, Starkville, Mississippi, uh, didn't sell cold beer. Well, and you can almost see that a little bit, the theory being that you're not going to, that you're more likely to grab it and drink it in the car if it's cold. Right. I can almost see that theory, but it's just a big pain in the ass for when you want to drink it in the car. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, getting back to the gambling, it's been well documented that Phil Mickelson is an incredibly big gambler and was caught up. I think we mentioned it, you know, a uh, 
sort of a golf hustler was arrested for, I can't remember what, some kind of money laundering. And in the course of that investigation, there was a rather big check from Phil Mickelson um, in his possession, right? So it came out that Phil Mickelson lost a bet to this guy on the golf course and paid him like 50 grand. And uh, kind of gave a spotlight. Apparently, Phil's known to wager huge sums on the golf course and casinos, whatever, um, which several athletes are. But it but you, makes you wonder if any of this financial stuff with Saudi Arabia or just the the idea of doing it as some kind of gambler's mindset. You know, I'm going to roll the dice here and see if I can make a lot of money for myself and my friends. You know, I don't know. I think you've opened up a great point here. Let me do you one better. Maybe Phil Mickelson's in um, owes the Saudis a bunch of money from said gambling adventures. Well, I wondered that. I mean, I, I started to think that. Or, or somebody very prominent. Yeah. Because I, I, just because you have $800 million doesn't mean that you can't get in a problem with gambling. That's right. Um, it's just on a bigger scale. So yeah. that's a great point that I never, ever thought about, Corey. Breaking news here on yes. golf, drinking, and life. Phil Mickelson, huge gambling problem, owes the Saudis money, and is going to get his head chopped off if he doesn't get this tour going. That's my theory. Um, that is just a theory, folks. <laughs> yeah, but no, he- you do bring up a good point. You, you you never know what the hell's going on behind the scenes, and all this quietness makes it makes theories like this come out, does it not? It does, yeah. Have you ever seen a more major sports announcement being handled with less information? No. That's, that's a, a good pretty point. major announcement, isn't it? That Phil Mickelson's not playing in this year Masters? Sure is. If he had a hurt foot, if he had a hurt foot and withdrew, there'd have been a press conference by both sides probably already. Yeah, that's right. You know? So it's very strange to me with what's going on that there has been no comments, official comments. Yes. I want to say one thing about Tom Brady, and then let's get to some opera. We're running low on time here. Okay. So this is a cautionary tale for all of you athletes who are ever thinking about retiring. Whenever you're thinking about retiring, you're not 100% sure you're going to retire. Don't use the fact that you're going to want to spend more time with your wife and children as the reason. (laughs) Because then you look like a complete dick fuck when you unretire three months later. That's and that you don't thing. like your family at all. Am I yeah, correct? You're correct. That's if there's great... any chance you're not going to retire, and especially if it's only going to be for two months, don't use your wife and kids as a reason. Plus, do we even believe, I mean, you know, Tom Brady is ultra competitive, one of the best athletes in history, seemingly a very competitive guy. Do we expect that he would retire and then just walk his kids to the park and make pancakes all day? Like I'm sure. <laughs> yes, that's what I expected, Corey. Yeah. Yes, uh, I expected I him to be holding hands and frolicking in the park. Yeah, I, I think he'd probably do other things anyway. I'm a little worried that he's uh, had such a great and long career, and I would hate to see him get some kind of major injury. You know, um, he's pretty well protected and has played relatively pain and injury free, unlike somebody like Peyton Manning who suffered with a lot of injuries. Yeah, yeah I agree. Like I, well, I agree. And plus, what else do you have to do? I mean, what else do you have to prove? I mean, maybe he just doesn't want to quit playing because he enjoys the process of it. And I understand that. But yeah, um, it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, you've done everything you wanted to do. Why, why do you keep playing? I mean, I don't know. It, it's, you know, 
if somebody told me tomorrow you need to retire from golf, and then I would be like, well, what the hell am I going to do for the next however long I live? Now it's a little bit different being an NFL player and having your body sacrificed in front of all those big, strong guys. I understand that. But, um, yeah, it usually doesn't end well when these guys don't retire on time. Not to say that they have some kind of crushing injury that hampers them for life, but they, but that can happen. But they usually don't – when they usually keep hanging on too long or keep coming back, they don't go out necessarily on top. I think Tom Brady's going to go out on – out on top, no matter what, even, even if Tampa has a four win season this year, it's going to be a crappy way to end his last season, but he still has enough, obviously good yeah. stuff that he's done that it's not going to outweigh, but it'd be a, it'd be shitty to come back and have a four win season and then end it that way. Yeah, that's right. Not to say that that's going to happen to Tampa, but all right, Cor, any opera stories today? Well, you know what we didn't, I, opera is great and all, but I think rather than uh, opera today, we should talk about your tournament. Oh, yeah. Um, So I don't even, did I mention on the last podcast that I was playing in a tournament this week? Uh, Yeah. So uh, first tournament of the year for us was a uh, one-day stroke play event at Tiger Point in Gulf Breeze. And when I say for us, I mean the Alabama Northwest Florida PGA. So Club Pro, one-day stroke play event. It's open to PGA members and PGA apprentices. Um, in the Alabama Northwest Florida section, and just to clarify for the audience, this is also run by the Saudis. This is run by the Saudis. Yes, it was a lucrative sixty five hundred dollar purse. Yes, yes, uh, twelve hundred to the winner. I mean, I was I had five years planned out of retirement with this win. <laughs> so, um. So we went over there last Monday and played a practice round. Golf courses is Tiger Point came online, I think, in the late 80s, mid 80s to early 90s. And um, it had 36 holes. The East course was designed by Jerry Pate. Uh, Very difficult golf course. It has water on 14 holes. It basically sits on a barrier island in between the bay and the ocean. So the wind can be wicked out there. And the wind was blowing um, Monday, 15 to 25. And I knew it was going to be. And so the course was going to be difficult. And um, I knew that probably 77 had a chance to get a good check and that 72 probably had a chance to win. It. Well, uh, felt good. I was even par through 12 holes, had, had not missed a fairway, didn't miss a fairway all day. Um, was really pleased with my ball striking. Unfortunately, on my 13th hole, which was a par five, I knocked it right down the middle, and I had 218 yards. This is the perfect example to all you golfers out there of no matter how hard you're focused and trying to trying in golf how five minutes can just make your whole day go sideways and, and in this five minutes i only hit one marginal shot at 218 yards into the green was my second shot there was water in front of the green but not really in play you had 100 i had 195 over the water 215 to the middle of the green 227 to the pin on the back left I was trying to hit it in the middle of the green. I was a little worried about hitting it long and left because there was a crosswind. The water wasn't even in my eyesight. So, um, <laughs> obviously, I knew what the yardage was over it, so I, I was aware of it, but it just wasn't in play without hitting a horrendous shot. And, unfortunately, I hit a four-wood, and I hit just a touch fat. I still never thought the water was in play, but as it hung in the air a little bit, I thought, oh, man, I hope that clears the water, and it didn't. It missed clearing by about a foot. No big deal. I drop out from about 130 yards. Now I'm hitting my fourth shot, hit it on the green, have a chance for par, maybe make bogey. 
Well, I missed the green, had about a 30-foot chip, hit a poor chip up to about 15 feet. Now I've got a 15-footer for bogey, and I'm not as happy at this point because I really didn't want to make bogey. I certainly didn't want to make double. I'm staring double right in the face. I have a 15-foot flat bogey putt. I four-putted for nine. <laughs> I marked every putt and took my time on every one of them. I didn't get mad and sword fighted, as we like to say in the golf world. <laughs> And I just, I knocked that first bogey putt about three feet by, knocked the three footer about three feet by and missed and lipped out the last putt for eight. And so now I have done all this grinding and plotting and, and was even par two under eventually won the golf tournament, one over finished second. So I knew I was right in the hunt, which I wasn't thinking about all that at the time, but it's very, it's very deflating. I went on to bogey two of the last five holes from there, tied for 15th, made a $25 check. So it looks like I'm going to have to work this week. (laughs) Yeah, that's not even covering half, half a gas tank. But it just goes to show you, man, five minutes, that whole little, that all transpired over about a seven minute, five to seven minute period. And I really, you know, obviously I had a little putting issue there and the greens were a little bit, you know, so-so on the condition wise, but they were fine. They were rolling good. And, um, you just, I'm scratching my head walking off of there, you know, and it's not like I took a, a unnecessary risk with the forward. There, there's no, nobody in that tournament that wouldn't have been trying to hit forward onto that green. I mean, it just right. wasn't, it wasn't like it was an island green and it was too far. The wind wasn't in my face. I mean, it was, there was just no, I'm not sure other than to, the third shot's probably where you're looking at. You probably need to make sure the third shot got on the green and two putt and, and, and take your bogey. And right. it, I think that's what happens in golf though. You're trying so hard to salvage that par and you don't want to make bogey that you risk making seven or eight because, you know, when, when in retrospect, bogey would have worked just fine. You know, you, you yeah. get a bad shot, take your medicine, make your bogey, get to the next hole. Conditions are hard. You know, one, you know, one over doesn't leave me in a bad spot. So you think you were, you think those other two bogeys at the end were just cause you got a little off your game and then. Now yeah, little, I think so. I think so. Yeah. The, the last bogey was unfortunate cause it was also on a par five and I was in the greenside bunker and two and hit a pretty good bunker shot up. I could only see about half the flag and I looked up at the guy and said, is that all right? Is that on the green? He said, yeah, it's on the green. Well, it was on the fringe, and as I walked up, it rolled off the green about 20 yards away. Oh, Lord. So I went from having a 15-foot putt for birdie to having a hard chip. 30-yard chip to get up and down for par, which I did not do. So, right. um, yeah, you know, you know, you never know. Who knows? But uh, but in saying that, basically how I feel was I I was six holes away from winning a golf tournament if things go my way or if I had a couple swings over um, and be it where I was two years ago, I'll take that. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the thing for me that the, and, but, but golfers are going to, yeah, I'm going to say this probably about any event. The thing for me is I'm almost 50 years old. I just turned 49. I knew I had a good chance in this because it was going to be windy and it was going to be hard. And I, I play well in the wind. I can control my ball and hit it low. So for these open events that are open to any age players, I'm not, it'll be 50 before I can play in our club pro senior stuff. I don't know how many more events of those I'm going to have a chance to win because you have some really good young players. And I had a better chance to win on a golf course playing this difficult because of those conditions. So. Uh, but like I said, from where I was, I'm, I'm, I got, I got to be pretty tickled with that. 
that's what you want to do in golf. I used to use the saying all the time. There's nothing to get nervous about until there's something to get nervous about. Meaning you don't need to be nervous on the first tee of a golf tournament because there's nothing to be nervous about yet. If you have three holes left of the golf tournament and you're in contention, now there's something to be nervous about. You still don't want to be nervous and play nervous, but, and so that's kind of my motto. So I put myself in a position to be able to be nervous. And that's what you want to do. The more times you put yourself in that position, eventually, hopefully you're going to close the deal the way you want. And whether it's win or finish third or whatever it is. um, Yeah. yeah. That's what you want to do. And that's why you play. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. That's great, man. Congratulations. I mean, I know it's hard. I I think you're right. Just getting out there. And, uh, you know, we took for granted um, the time from when you got really bad and you're drinking until you, end where you're so sick it it sort of goes fast you know i mean you almost you blink in one minute it's it's, things are kind of normal and then the next it's several years later and they're not and same kind of thing like two years ago i mean it's gone quick since then you know in some ways that feels like last week yeah it's hard for us to see how remarkable really your health transformation has been you know we kind of take it for granted in some way um yeah we know well, and you know, you think about all that happened two years ago, July, and it was probably until, I mean, hell, it was probably that first six months. I, I don't remember necessarily when I even started playing back. So even though this happened two two years ago, well, a year and a half since I've even been playing, or maybe not quite that. And at the beginning, that was sketchy at best, just trying to get through 18 holes. Right. And walking up and down hills. I mean, when I started warming up on the range, I looked like, um, looked like um, what's the old guy on the on the Simpsons, Mr. Burns? Mr. Burns. I looked like Burns, Mr. Burns, trying to hit <laughs> pitching wedges. I mean, I could barely swing it waist high forward and back to warm up. So, um, you know, I was playing the senior tees because I couldn't get to the par four greens and two from the whites. It's amazing that you. So it's it's a lot. Has um, yeah. I mean, I guess I, your love for golf is unquestionable because even in your darkest moment, like you would have just been out there with a walker you know, like just laying down on the green and, and trying to hit the ball toward the hole. With the butter. <laughs> like, you know, well, you got an ambulance that day. You're like, take me to the golf course. <laughs> uh, well, one more round in. Well, I mean, there's a combination of things there. Number one, I work in the golf business. And number two, it's basically all I've ever done. And so what was I going to do? And now I'm not drinking. So I really need to fill up time. Like, I needed golf. I'm going to tell you that's that. Uh, it's another reason why we do this podcast. I golf saved me in some way. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I didn't have golf to do that. This would be. I don't want to call this easy, but this wouldn't have been as easy as it has been without golf. Yeah, good point. And I worry about that every time I have any kind of ache and pain because I think, oh man, I I don't know what I would do if I didn't have golf. Yeah. And I'm not saying I wouldn't find something else, but it's, you know, golf has saved me in a way because I had something to try to get stronger for and to get better for. I, it, 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 that sounds bad. Obviously, I have kids and people who love me and stuff like that. But I'm just talking about on a daily basis. Too. No, it's it's definitely different. And I will get into a little bit. We got just a little bit of time. Um, you know, we're we picked two vocations that were basically from our uh not hobby exactly, what we're good at, our talent. You know, you're a talented golfer. You end up going to play college golf and everything in your life came out of golf. You met your wife when you were in uh, 
college playing college golf, had your kids because of that, where you've lived places because of the jobs you've had in golf, everything in your life is revolved around golf. And same for me in uh, music and opera, right? Even from the time I was in band in high school till now, I've done nothing but make, you know, spend my time making music. Um, and I'm starting to transition from singing. So last week I went to Nashville Opera and worked with their young artists. I did a master class, which is they sing, there's a, an audience and I teach them. And then I gave them all lessons the next day. Uh, and it was kind of an interesting position to be in because I've done a lot of teaching, but not necessarily at that level where they're really good professionals. Um, I've certainly worked, done master class over the years singing with a company, but now I'm starting, now that I'm moving into administration and that I teach full time, it's a little different relationship to that. Right. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I had a lot of uh, things to say because uh, being a singer is hard. And I, I, you know, those are young professionals probably typically in their mid twenties to early thirties and uh, trying to scrape a living together, trying to get a career going. And now they got to, you know, they've all spent tens of thousand dollars on their own education. They, they study with some of the most reputable teachers in New York. Uh, and now they got me coming in to tell them all of my thoughts about their singing. Right. And I, I try to be very sensitive about that because, you know, um, I want to help them, but what do they need me for? They pay teachers. They have, and it also occurred to me, you know, singers, are the only people that really get notes in our business, you know, the pianist plays, conductor conducts, director directs, but no one's going over to the conductor saying, you know, you made a mistake on that uh, pickup. It, just make sure, look at your score, make a note there, you know, right. Uh, but that's what they do to us. Right. And then we are in a young artist program. They offer you generously to have someone come teach you, but that's tricky because it's like someone coming to look at your golf swing all the time and telling you what they would do better. Right. Which is, you know, I try to be very sensitive about that. Right. Well, that's good. That's good that you have the perspective to be able to do that because that's a good analogy you made with the golf swing. I wouldn't want some dipshit that I don't know coming in and talking to me about my golf swing. Like, what the hell you know yeah, about my golf swing? But if you relate it to your experiences, that's a little different. Well, I hope so. You know, I'm, I'm almost, I have all these thoughts of, uh, I hope that I remember what it's like um, in 10 years and 15 years if I'm still in this business what it was like making a living as a singer, because there's all, there's a lot of administrators that in my opinion, you know, some of the most powerful administrators in the country who can be very sort of hard on young singers and tell them you need to be in better shape. You need to be more polished. Then maybe you'll work at my company. You know, a lot of those people never had any kind of singing career. They're not in great shape themselves now. So you're already telling people that are doing something better than you've ever done it what they need to do to, to earn your respect. Uh, and I'm not a big fan of that. You know, we right. all need to get better. Yeah. Um, you know, we all have room to improve, but you don't have to go around offering all young singers, um, you know, your advice on how to be amazing. I think it's, uh, <laughs> you know, my goal is to be singer friendly as it were. Right. Well, that's, I think that's a good way to go about it for sure. And I'm sure with the experience and the kind of road you had up the ranks that, that you can, that you can convey that to them in a, in a good manner. I'm sure you do. Yeah, I did. I tried to be very, you know, I did help them, I think. And I try to do it. Um, I tend to just, uh, I teach from a positive perspective and maybe because that's just my personality. There's a lot of debate on what works better. 
So uh, Phil Mickelson needs to weigh the consequences of the Saudis chopping his hands off or the PGA Tour just giving him a light little hand slap for being bad. That's what he needs to Maybe he's use. out of sight because he's already got his hands chopped off. Maybe he's tied in a dungeon somewhere. He could be. So I want I want to get one more reference before we get out of here. Last week, this is an obscure reference that maybe people won't get, but when I was doing this by myself last week, it reminded me of the band Oasis, who I know you know. <laughs> but for our listeners who don't know, they were a British band, the Champagne Supernova, Spotify, next time you're on there listening to our show. But they are the guitarist and the head singer are brothers in the band and they were doing MTV unplugged or some kind of live performance on MTV. And the singer brother was sick or his voice was whatever. And he wasn't going to do it. So instead of canceling the other brother, the guitarist sang and played the guitar and like really stepped up to help him out. And the other brother sat in the balcony and got drunk and heckled him during the show. And that's pretty much the feeling you left me with last week, Corey. Thanks a lot. You're, you are now dead to me. Well, it's funny. You said uh, at the very end of the podcast, the solo podcast, you said, I'm glad I talked about all this. Uh, if Corey was here, he probably would have made fun of me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe I do. And then when I was listening to you, I kept wanting to interject <laughs> smart-ass things. And I was like, you know, maybe he's just trying to be honest and sincere and vulnerable. And then I pipe in like, yeah, you're drunk. No, no, no. That's how we roll, Corey. I need that part of you. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't take that personal. I tell every time you insult me, as I hope I do to you, I take it as love. Like if you didn't like me, you wouldn't go through the the you wouldn't take the time to insult me. Well, that's I mean, you're my brother, so I probably would take the time to insult you just out of respect. Um but it does but out of respect, exactly. It does happen that I do like you. Um, Yeah. And let's be honest, here here we joke. And it's funny because a lot of the things I've asked on here, I'll start with. You know, we don't we haven't talked about this in person because really men are funny about uh you know, you went through such a d- dramatic thing that involved a lot of feelings for all of us, but men typically don't sit around and talk about their feelings. We tend to sit around and joke uh about serious things. How dare uh, you? So then we so then we have to but that's you know on this podcast we got to go a little deeper, um, which I find interesting. It's sort of ironic. Well, we are running out of time. I'm going to go cry in the car on the way of the course now. Okay, good. Um, everybody, uh, remember new episodes out every Thursday. You can follow me on Twitter at Colin McKern. Email the show golfdrinkinglife at gmail dot com. Corey, anything else to add? That's it, man. Happy to be back. Good yep. talking to you. Have a good week. You need to come over and play golf soon. Yeah, you got it. All right, man. All right, buddy. Thank you, everybody. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N.